Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible this morning to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to go back to one of the uh, primary verses that we looked at last week and then pick up where we were. Last week I was talking to you about the importance of redemption. What, I'm, what I am uh, introducing here, and though I'm taking it a little bit slow, it's because, you know, the foundations are important. Amen. Anything that you build has to have a solid foundation. And really everything that comes up and, and, and stays uh, uh, strong and lasts is built on a foundation. And so we're laying some foundational truths about our authority in Christ. And, uh, and the point that we made last week is, is pointed out right here in the 15th chapter in verse number 21. It says, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Notice it says that for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And so the point that we made last week, we don't have time to go over and, and remake all of those points and, and, and give all the scriptures we gave last week. But I tell you, what I ministered on last week is essential for understanding our authority and who we are in Christ and what we have, you have to understand this basic truth. And that is that because man in the, in the person of Adam, because man surrendered to death, to sin and death, the Bible says that through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death passed upon all men. Uh, you have to understand that since by man sin and death came into the world, then by man life would have to come. That God could not reverse what happened without sending another man. We know that Jesus Christ was both God and man. But what he did in his earthly ministry, he did not do as God, he did it as a man. We found that in Philippians Turn over there to the second chapter of Philippians. <clears throat> Philippians chapter two, in verse number five, it says, let this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he did not consider his equality with God something to be held on to. It says that he did not consider his, his equality with God to be something to be held on to. Instead, he made himself of no reputation. The original Greek says he emptied himself. What does it mean that he emptied himself? It means that he emptied himself or he laid aside all of, all of the powers and resources available to him as God. Now, he didn't lay aside his divinity he was always God. He's existed as the eternal son from, uh, from eternity past. He, he was God. 
then. He was, he was God when he was here in his earthly ministry. He was God when he was raised from the dead. He's God in heaven today. He'll always be God. We're not disputing that. But what we're saying is that when he came here, he laid aside the prerogatives that he had, the, the resources that were available to him, the power that was available to him as God, and he functioned in this earth as a man. That's what, it's, that's what it means when it says he emptied himself. And then it says, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming uh, and coming in the likeness of men. He took on a human body and a human life. And it's not a difficult concept, really, to understand that what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, he did not as God, but as man. It's not difficult to understand at all. I've used this illustration before. My son, Pastor Greg, works here in the office and he's my son. We have a father-son relationship. Uh, he also, as a, as a senior staff member, being a full you know, associate pastor, he is on staff, but he's on my staff. And in, in that capacity, he reports to me, he works to me, for me. And there are times that I go into his office and I go in and I just talk to him as father-son. I'll go in and say, Greg, you know, such and such, your mom's, you know, cooked some, you know, dish that you like. Do you want to come by after work, you know, and pick up some and take it home, you know, and he always says yes, you know. Uh, that's a father-son thing. But then there are times when I come in, I say, what's going on on such and such a project? Where is this, uh, uh, what's the status of a certain thing? I'm not talking to him as my son. I'm talking to him as my associate pastor. The, both of those uh, 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 relationships exist at the same time. It's just what is he functioning in at the time? Now, as my son, he also functions in a different capacity as my son now than he did when he was a teenager. You know, he was a child, then he was a teenager, he was a young man, we had a relationship. Now, you know, he's a full grown man, has his own family, he's my son, but it's a different relationship. Well, the Bible says that Jesus had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. Even though Jesus was here in the flesh, he was the son of God, there were some things that he had to submit to in order to learn obedience in order that he would be a faithful high priest and be able to do and complete the plan of redemption. And of course, he passed all those tests. God raised him from the dead and the Bible says he then exalted him at his right hand. Glory to God. And so there are different relationships we have, but Jesus, when he was here, he ministered as a man. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy, go over to chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you'll see this. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Verse number 5 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Notice that God had to send a man into the earth because man, we, we found out that God created man in his own image and in his own likeness and man was alive unto God. He had, he had spiritual life in him. His spirit came from God in the, in the uh, case of Adam and Eve, their very bodies came. God, God formed Adam from the ground. Isn't that right? And so... Uh, Adam and Eve had spiritual life. They were alive unto God. But we found out last week that when Adam sinned, 
he died. God told both of them, he said, the day that you eat of this fruit that I'm telling you not to eat of, if you eat of it, the day you eat of it, you will die. Well, we know that, that Adam lived 935 years, I think. So he didn't die physically that day. He died spiritually that day. It's absolutely critical that you understand what spiritual death is. Spiritual death is not the uh, absence of uh, existence. You know, when, when we think of death, we usually think of physical death. When somebody's body dies, it ceases to function. And if you leave it long enough, it will cease to exist. I mean, it will, re, it will return to the earth. Well, spirits never die in that sense. A spirit is eternal. God is a spirit. Angels are spirits. Men are spirit. We are all spirit beings. And because of that, our spirits never die in the sense of ceasing to exist or are not functioning or not conscious. That's not true. Spiritual death is simply the opposite of spiritual life. What is spiritual life? Is being is having the life of God, being alive unto God. Spiritual death is, is the absence of that relationship with God. It's, it's, the Bible says that our sins separate us from God. And so that's what spiritual death is. It's separation from God. But uh, 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 And the Bible talks about us when we were, us as, as believers, when we were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, our bodies weren't dead. It was our spirit that was dead in trespasses and sins. But of course, our spirits had, had, were functioning. I like to say it like this. The life that is in an unsaved person's spirit, that life is death. In other words, spiritual death is a force. Spiritual death is a thing. And spiritual death is not the absence of something uh, completely. It's the absence of life. But death, spiritual death itself is, a, is a, uh, a reality and it's something, it's a force that actually comes from the devil. The life that is in Satan is the nature of death. That's what he has in him, is death. Well, when man sinned, then that nature of, of Satan came into the man's spirit and that man was cut off from God. I'm, I'm, I'm going quickly today because I don't want to take the time to look up all these passages, but we looked up last week about people who are being, who before they were saved, he said, were alienated. Paul said, you were alienated from the life of God. That's what spiritual death is. It's alienation. It's not having eternal life in your spirit. That results in a person being spiritually dead and they actually take on the, the, the nature of the devil. Now, it's not necessarily a pleasant idea, but it's absolutely true. We have to understand that every unsaved person actually has the nature of sin and death and that's the nature of the devil. Jesus spoke to the religious people in his day. These were people who, the Pharisees, they were the... Uh, uh, you know, the fundamentalists of their day. They dotted every I, crossed every T. They were, they were real proud of, of how they kept all of the law. To, I mean, just were fanatical about it. And Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. That's why man has to be born again. When we're born again, we are recreated. Our inward man, our spirit man is recreated and we receive eternal life. And so spiritual death is separation from God. It is the opposite of spiritual life. Now, 
in, go back to uh, 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians 15. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Now this is not just talking about physical death and physical res uh, resurrection. This is talking equally about spiritual death and spiritual resurrection. We know this, that... Uh, go with me to... Go back to 1 Timothy and go to the third chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter three. It says in verse 16 that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Well, that would be Jesus, isn't that right? God was manifested in the flesh. And then it says justified in the spirit. Now the word justify is a verb. The original Greek word and the English word, those are verbs. To be just or to be righteous, that word, that word just or righteous can either be a noun or it can be an adjective. But to justify is a verb, to make righteous. That's what the word justify means. It means to make righteous. It says here that God was manifested in the flesh. That's talking about the son of God. He was made righteous in the spirit. Now here's one of the, of the biggest mysteries, but one of the most important things that believers have to get a hold of, if, and, and I'm still laying a foundation for our authority in Christ. And that is the fact that Jesus came here to take responsibility for all of the fall of man. Everything that Adam did and everything it cost him, Jesus came here to pay the debt and the penalty for that. Now we know that Jesus came and took the sins of the world, the transgressions of the world. We know that he was judged with all of our sins. Isn't that right? Everybody knows that. Here's the area that people are not aware of and, and religion will 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 tempt you to, to kick this out. But, but stay with me. Jesus not only partook of sin, he partook of death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Now people react to that and they say, well, that's impossible. How God, Jesus was God, how can God die? Again, they're misunderstanding what spiritual death is. Spiritual death is not cessation of being in that sense, it is separation from God. Now, and go with me to Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews chapter two. For Jesus to have been made righteous, he had to have been unrighteous. I said the word justify is a verb. He was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Well, to be to, to just, 
justified, that verb means to be made righteous. If Jesus was made righteous, he had to have not been righteous before then. Are you following me? In Hebrews chapter two, you say, well, I thought Jesus was the son of God and he was righteous. Well, understand that on the cross, on the cross, Jesus took the sins of the world. Hold your place in Hebrews and go to 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians and go to the fourth chapter. Excuse me, the fifth chapter. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 21 says, for he, this is referring to God, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. For God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus to be sin on the cross. He did not just take our sins, he became sin. Now go with me back to Hebrews to the second chapter. Verse number nine says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Now remember I said last week, now if you weren't here last week, it would really pay you to go online and listen to last week's message because it's very foundational and we're going a little bit further today. And it would help you to understand today better if you heard that. So when you leave here, if you haven't heard last week's message, last Sunday morning, go on the website today or this week and listen to it. In verse number nine, it says, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. We pointed this out that when the Bible speaks of death, most of the time, particularly in the New Testament, when it talks about death, it's talking about spiritual death, not physical death. Almost all of the time. I say it like this, unless the context, there are a few places where the context shows that it's absolutely talking about physical death. But if it's not talking of, if the context does not require it to be talking about physical death, it's almost always talking about spiritual death, separation from God. So it says, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, spiritual death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Jesus tasted death in order to deliver us from death. This was not just physical death because if it was physical death he's talking about, then he became a substitute in physical death. Therefore, we wouldn't have to die physically. But ever since Jesus was raised from the dead, people who believe in him, who receive eternal life, they still die physically. Do you know anybody still around from back then? No. Everybody partakes of physical death, but here Jesus partook of spiritual death for us. Do you see that? That he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone in our place to deliver us from it. 
And uh, let's continue reading. For it was fitting for him, for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he had to be perfected. In order to be the, the perfect sacrifice, he had to suffer some things, okay? So he was made perfect through sufferings. That means he wasn't perfect. Now, in his deity, he was perfect, but in his, his humanity, he had to go through some things in order to be perfected. There were some things that he had to experience and some things that he had to accomplish in order to please God and to do the will of God. If he had failed to do those things, he would not have been approved, okay? Now notice verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. That's talking about us. He who sanctifies, Jesus, and those who are, all, who are being sanctified, that's us, are all of one. For which reason he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Let's skip down to verse number 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him. The better translation is paralyze him. He might paralyze him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Through spirit, through by through partaking of spiritual death. Because Jesus partook of spiritual death, he willing, see Jesus willingly submitted to death. He willingly submitted to the death of the cross and to spiritual death, but here's the, here's the catch. He wasn't personally guilty. Jesus had, had done no sin. He was pure, he was sinless as a man, not only as God, but as a man. Remember last week we found out that he was the last Adam. There was the first Adam, Jesus was the last Adam, and as the last Adam, he functioned in the earth exactly like the first Adam. The first Adam was, if you, you, know, if you read the genealogist tra tra tracing Jesus' birth all the way back, one of the gospels, one was Matthew and the other one's Luke. One of them traces his genealogy, traces his genealogy back to Abraham. The other one traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam. I don't remember which one is which, you can look it up. But the one that traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam, it says Jesus was the, you know, the son of so-and-so, Joseph, who was so-and-so, son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so. And then it gets right down to Adam and it says who was the son of God. Adam was God's child. Jesus came into the earth as the last Adam. He was also God's child. Now, Adam wasn't the son of God in the sense of the eternal son of the father, but he was God's child in the sense that he was the offspring. He was created by God. He was God's son. Well, Jesus in his earthly ministry, not in his, his divinity, in his divinity, he was the eternal son of God. In his flesh, he became, like, he became the son of God like Adam was, the offspring, the creation of God. So Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he functioned in the earth exactly the way Adam should have functioned. 
He, he lived the life that Adam should have lived and could have lived. Adam did not have to sin. No descendant from Adam would have had to sin. The temptation was there. They had the authority to resist it. They chose not to. Jesus was in all points tempted like we were, like Adam was, like every man has, and Jesus could have yielded to temptation. Now, people have a problem with that. Well, how he's God, you know, how could God sin? Understand, again, he wasn't functioning as God. He was functioning as a man. The man, Christ Jesus, could have yielded to temptation. If he couldn't have yielded to temptation, there was no temptation. Temptation's not a real temptation if you can't yield to it. Isn't that right? No, Jesus could. Now, what would have happened if Jesus would have failed and, and sinned like Adam did? I have no idea. I, I can't fathom that. I can't, I, I don't even, it, it's, it's, it's bigger than I can even begin to imagine the consequences of that. I, I don't know what would happen to uh, the universe. I, I don't know how could God, how could, how could God send his son, take on flesh, and as a man fail? I know this, redemption would be over. There would have been no redemption for mankind because Jesus was the only one who could save mankind because he's the only one without sin. Well, if he had sinned, it would have been all over. But the important thing is he didn't sin. He was tempted every day of his life and he resisted temptation 100 out of 100 times. Well, because of that, he wasn't personally guilty of any sin. So when he went to the cross willingly and allowed himself to be nailed to that cross and he allowed God to put the sins of the world upon him and he became and he partook of even the separation from God, that, that, that being alienated from the life of God. I'm talking about the man. When that happened, Jesus willingly submitted to that, but the catch is he didn't deserve it. He was the only person who tasted death who didn't deserve death. Because he didn't deserve death, he could come out from death. See, that's where, that's where Jesus defeated the devil. He was made righteous right in the pit of hell itself. He was justified in the spirit and raised up, glory to God. And, and the Bible says that, that he threw off the pains, the, per, the birth pains of death. He threw off, why? He, it was not possible for him to be held by those things because he wasn't guilty. He was without sin. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, I, I know what I'm saying uh, causes the modern church world to, to a, a lot of anxiety because they don't understand how uh, Jesus, the son of God, how we could say that he died spiritually. Again, they don't understand spiritual death. I've noticed this about modern theology. Modern theology is very shallow in a lot of respects. What I mean by that is that theologian, theologians of past generations, past centuries even, have been much deeper thinkers than the theologians who have been alive in the last 100 years. 
They, they thought more deeply. They understood some things that modern theology uh, is, because we live in a very fast-paced pop culture, theology has basically, basically become pop theology. Most Christian theology is pop theology. It's very shallow, it's very frothy, and it's built upon nice little sayings and little phrases and, and little shallow ideas. But if you delve into the word of God a little bit deeper than that, modern theology and most denominations will, will, will begin to sound the alarms. You're saying things we've never heard before. How can this be true? The fact that Jesus died spiritually I've had people in my church back in the 1980s, there was a particular, uh, a very popular, well-known evangelist in America, one of the leading charismatic evangelists in America. In the 1980s, he went on a crusade against this idea that Jesus died spiritually because word of faith people were preaching this. So he went on, an, he went on a national crusade to oppose this teaching that Jesus died spiritually. I lost people in my church because of it. Because they were reading his publication. I remember this one couple, uh, they came to me, a young couple, and they said, we're, we're leaving the church. I said, well, you know, they'd been coming for a while, a year or so. So, well, what's wrong? Well, you teach that Jesus died spiritually and we don't believe that. That's, that's not scriptural. And I said, well, uh, let's look at the scriptures. And, and I'll never forget what this young lady said. She said, no, she said, I'm not gonna look at the scriptures with you because you are a very gifted Bible teacher and, and anybody that's a good Bible teacher can, can sell anything and you, you would be able to convince me because you're a good Bible teacher and I'm not, you know more about the Bible than I am and you would be able to present it in such a way that would persuade me, but I just don't believe it. Yeah, but I'm not going to try to persuade you with anything other than the Bible. I mean, we ought to be persuaded by the Bible. But my point is, people, people reacted very fearful because we were teaching that Jesus died spiritually. A few years ago, a friend of mine went through and compiled a, 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 a list of a very notable people throughout church history that taught that Jesus died spiritually. And he actually chronicled it and put foot, I mean, you know, did a, a bibliography, such and such a person said this, quotes, you know, where they said it. People like Billy Graham taught that Jesus died spiritually. Now, is he a heretic? Not hardly. Billy Graham, uh, you ever heard of Charles Spur uh, Spurgeon? He, he taught that Jesus died spiritually. D.L. Moody, ever heard of him? He taught that Jesus died spiritually. Because, and and I've, got the, I've got the footnotes. I've got the quotes where they taught this. And there are other people that, that are even maybe less known to the popular Christian culture, but they're known to theologians, people that I recognize the names of certain people that are well-respected uh, throughout uh, church history and modern times as well. And they all taught that Jesus died spiritually, but see, it's not taught in popular pop theology. And so people react to that because they don't understand what spiritual death is. Spiritual death isn't not uh, being alive. It's just not being alive unto God. So uh, we teach that, that Jesus died spiritually and he went to hell. 
And again, Christians react to that. Well, I just can't believe. I can't, I just can't accept that my precious Jesus went to hell. Listen, here's the truth. Anything that, that sin caused, Jesus had to pay the penalty of. He had to pay the penalty for all of sin. Go, uh, go with me to Isaiah. Go with me to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. The great redemptive chapter. Verse number five, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone in his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now the word iniquity in the, in the, in the Hebrew this word that's translated iniquity has three meanings. It means, first of all, iniquity. It also means the guilt of iniquity. And thirdly, it means the consequences of or the punishment for iniquity. When God laid on Jesus the iniquity of, of us all, he not only laid our sins and our iniquity on him, but he, he laid the guilt of iniquity. That's why, your guilt, that's why your conscience is clean today. Because when you were born again, your, your guilty conscience went away. Why? Because Jesus bore that. Isn't that right? But not only guilt of iniquity, but the consequences and punishment for iniquity. God laid all of that on Jesus. Now, were we in Hebrews? Go back to Hebrews. Let's finish this chapter. And they are these verses I want to look at in this chapter. Hebrews 2. Through death, verse 14, he might paralyze him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Notice verse 17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Notice in all things, Jesus had to be made like us. In the second chapter of Acts, go with me there. Not too many Christians are aware that Jesus went to hell. And that's remarkable since it's in the first sermon that was ever preached in the Christian era. In the, in the church age, the very ser first sermon that was ever preached on the day of Pentecost deals with the fact that Jesus went to hell. In Acts chapter two, of course, Peter, after you know, the, the uh, stir that resulted as a result of the, of the speaking in tongues, Peter began to preach. And uh, let's start in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. We can stop right there and go back to our previous point. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Now we know he was God, but what he did, he did as a man. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you also know. 
Him being de delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, the word pains there means agonies and it's talking about the birth pains. The birth pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by. Why was it not possible? Because he wasn't guilty. He didn't deserve it. We deserved it. He didn't. But he took it and because he took it in our stead and still wasn't guilty, he couldn't be held by it. Amen? And God raised him from the dead. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face for he is at my right hand that I should not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in hell nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now if you go on down in verse 29, it says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us this, to this day. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. Now, the word hell is the word, is the word Hades. The older King James translates that hell. Most modern translations translate it. They don't translate it. They just transliterate it and put the word out there, Hades. So a lot of people believe that the word Hades only means the grave. That his body was simply not left in the grave. But again, this word Hades is used throughout the New Testament, not just speaking of the grave, but speaking of hell itself. So on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached this message and pointed out that Jesus' soul was not left in hell. In, uh, go to, to Acts chapter 22. Excuse me, Psalm 22. I have this thing, I don't know what it is. I, I, I mix up Psalms and Acts all the time and I know the difference. It's like the book of Psalms is the Acts of the Old Testament or something, I don't know. Go to the book of Psalms, chapter 22, Psalms 22. Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are prophetic Psalms. Psalm 22 is Jesus on the cross Psalm 23 is Jesus alive after the cross. He is our shepherd and Psalm 24 has him as our soon coming king. Okay, so those are, those, it's a, a trilogy there. In Psalm 22, we have a picture of Jesus on the cross. Notice it starts out with this, these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the words that Jesus uttered on the cross because you see on the cross, when he became sin, when God placed on him the sins of this world and he, and he became sin on the cross, he became separated from God. I'm talking about God, I'm talking about Jesus the man was separated from God when he became sin on the cross. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then it goes on to describe he said, why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, 
but you do not hear. And in the night seasons, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted in you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Do you remember the, the uh, uh, people at the foot of the cross saying that? They said, you know, he claims to be, he claims to be God. Let, let, let the angels of God take him down from the cross. If he's the son of God, come down from the cross. Remember them saying that? They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my, while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is no help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape, they gape at me. Uh, uh, with their mouths like raging and, and roaring lions. It's a picture of the soldiers and the people around him mocking him on the cross. He said, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws for you have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs surround me. The congregation of the wicked, they encircle me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Then it says, for you have answered me and you have, I will declare your name to my brethren. So that the rest of this picks up where God answers him and, and raises his up. But the first part of this is a picture of him on the cross. Go over to the 88th Psalm. The 88th Psalm. The 88th Psalm is a picture of Jesus in hell. Now let me remind you, remember Jesus made this statement? He said, show us a sign. And he said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Remember Jesus saying that? Then he said this, he said, no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He said, as Jonah was three days, and this is in Matthew, you can look it up, Matthew 12, I think. As Jesus, as Jonah, rather, was three days and three nights in the belly of the, of the fish, even so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Well, the, the belly of the earth wouldn't be a tomb somewhere. In other words, a tomb on the side of a mountain could hardly be described as the belly of the earth. Isn't that right? In Ephesians, it says that, uh, go to Ephesians 4. Hold your place in 88. Psalm 88, go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. 
Now this also, verse nine, verse eight says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men, talking about Jesus. Now this, he ascended, but what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Well, would, would, would the tomb on the mountainside be considered the lowest parts of the earth? No, it wouldn't be. That'd be a picture of hell. Now go over with me to the 88th chapter of Psalm. Psalm 88 again. O oh Lord God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths, your wrath lies heavy upon me and you have afflicted me with all your waves. That's the waves of judgment. You have put away from, away, you have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I've stretched out my hands to you. Will your work, will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead rise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Well, thank God it was. Hallelujah. Yes, glory to God. His loving kindness was declared in the grave. Isn't that right? His faithful was, faithfulness was declared in the place of destruction. God raised Jesus from the dead. What happened was, is when Jesus was cut off and suffered spiritual death and went to that place of torment, when justice for you and I had been served, when justice for you and me had been, had been meted out, when it had been dealt out, and justice had been served and the debt had been paid because Jesus was not guilty himself, death could not hold him. And he was justified, made righteous again in spirit. And God raised him from the dead and when he raised him, when he justified him, he justified us. Amen. See, our justification took place at the moment Jesus was justified. When he was declared righteous, that's when we were declared righteous. And, we, and, and Jesus was quickened, he was made alive, he was raised up, we were quickened. We were made alive in spirit. We were raised up with him, isn't that right? Oh, glory to God. Why is this important? It's important because man failed God. Adam sold us out to sin and death. Jesus came back and he suffered all of the consequences of that. Like I've said many times before, anything that sin and death cost humanity, Jesus had to pay it. Amen. Because if he didn't pay it, if he didn't, if there was any part of the consequences of sin that Jesus didn't pay, then it's still out there. It's still an obligation, isn't that right? Somebody has to pay it. No, Jesus paid it all. Glory to God. 
And, be, and then because of that, because God, because as a man he did that, he delivered the rest of us. We can be, we're free today because Jesus won our freedom for us. He won our freedom from sin. He won our freedom from death. He won our, our freedom from all of the consequences, all of the results of sin, everything that followed the fall of man, Jesus got it back, praise God. And he gave it to us. How in the world did that happen? I'm not really sure. I don't know how it happened. I just know it happened. And it happened way back then. It happened, it happened on the cross. It happened in his death, his burial, and his, and his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. I don't know how it happened then, and I wasn't even here yet. But it says that we went to the cross. We were crucified with him. We died with him. We were buried with him. That's what water baptism is a type of. We were raised with him. We ascended with him and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, I came along in 1952. I don't know how in the world that happened. But some see there is no time in the spirit realm. And when I made a decision as a little boy, when I made a decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when I recognized that my lost condition and I made a decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I was placed in his death. I was made a partaker in his death, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his suffering, his, his justification, his resurrection, all of that God made, made me a part of and I went and, and joined into that. How in the world that can be? I don't know, just the Bible teaches it. Isn't that right? It teaches that we were crucified with him. We died with him. We were raised with him. Oh, glory to God. And it happened to, to most of you here this morning. When you made the decision to, put, to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you were placed into everything that he did. He did it for us. Why? So that he took our sins so that we could take his righteousness. So that we could come out from death be delivered from death. And here's the thing, and I'll get into it next time. He delivered us not only from death, but from the authority of death. Everything that death caused man, everything that man gave up in the fall, Jesus got it back. That means he took our authority back. Glory to God. When Jesus, one of the first things he said when he appeared to the disciples, he, you know, he, Mary and some of the other women found him on that morning. He said, tell my, go tell my brethren, and Peter, by the way, too, go tell them to go to meet me in, in a certain place where I told them before. When they met him there, he walked out and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Listen, that was a, that was a bold announcement. Why would Jesus say all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth? Didn't they know he had authority? They witnessed his authority every day. They were with him for three and a half years. People marveled that he, with authority, he cast out demons. He spoke and preached with authority. They were a witness of his authority all the time. So why is he announcing suddenly he had authority? He announced it because something new had happened. You see, he surrendered himself and submitted to everything the devil required. In other words, all the consequences. He actually submitted himself to the devil himself and was, and was taken over. 
And in three days, God said, it's enough. It's enough. Justice has been met. The price has been paid. The penalty's been paid. It's enough. And he was justified and he came out. And when he came out, he took authority back again. Glory to God. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now you go and preach. He immediately conferred that authority to the church. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. When, when, when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm talking about believers, when Christians like you and I, when we, when we get to the place where we really understand the significance of what Jesus did, and of what he bought and, and purchased for us and made available and what he's given to us. Oh, glory to God. We won't live like we've lived in the past. We've just, we've just scratched the surface in our understanding. And I'm praying that, that we'll get a deeper understanding and a greater revelation in our spirits than we've ever had before of what we really have in redemption. Glory to God. We're not just sinners saved by grace. We're the righteousness of God. Glory to God in Christ Jesus. And we have authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over every foe that would oppose us in this life. I'm not talking about your, your wife or your husband. I'm talking about spiritual opposition. Everything that comes against you, you have authority over in this life. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Our redemption is full. Our redemption is wonderful. It's bigger than we know. Hallelujah. I remember Brother Hagin, when he wrote his book, the authority of the believer and later it was edited and re-released as the believer's authority. He made the statement, he said, some of us, he said, speaking of himself and a few others, he said, some of us have gotten over into the edge of this authority. And some of us some, sometimes have, have unconsciously been able to step over and operate in some, in some authority, in a level of authority. And, and then we back back out of that. He, Brother Hagin said, but I'm believing that before Jesus returns, a mighty army will arise in the earth, Christians, who will actually come into the fullness of our authority in Christ and really understand what it believes. He, Brother Hagin did not claim to fully understand it or to fully walk in it. But he said, I, I believe that before Jesus returns, an, an, an understanding, awareness, a revelation of this authority will take root in the church and an army of believers will arise who know who they are in Christ and know the authority that belongs to them. Glory to God. That's the church. That's the church that will witness the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.